Good evening. It is good to see each of you again. If you're a guest, we welcome you. It really does encourage us that you're here. Allow me to mention several things that are very important. One, we're glad to have our youth back. We always miss you when you're away, and we're glad that you're back, but we're glad that you were able to go and be a part of Rush and that great spiritual experience that's involved in that. Also, I, I need to clarify some things that we've learned since this morning. Uh, we still need help putting the labels on house to house, uh, but they will not come in until later on Tuesday. And so we're planning on first thing Wednesday morning, and it'd really be good if we could get them all labeled through the day Wednesday. And so same deal. If you can come anytime during the day Wednesday to the fellowship hall, there'll be tables set up and little workstations. And, and really, if it's only 30 minutes you can work, that's fine. If you've got a few hours, that's good too. But if, if about 100 or more could just pass through during the day, that could really do a lot of good. We'll try to stay in touch with you through uh, social media and the e-messenger that goes out. But right now, plan on first thing Wednesday morning. With that in mind, be planning on Friends Day. Be inviting, be praying, be inviting, be praying, be inviting. The only way that it's a success is if we all jump in and do our part. So look forward to that. And uh, keep in mind, 4 o'clock at Charlie Daniels, 6 o'clock here at the uh, church building uh, as far as the afternoon and evening services, whichever is best for you. Also, today we've been thinking about investing in the future of our children and encouraging uh, us to teach if God has given us that ability and several of you have jumped in and signed up and we appreciate those that came to the children's education open house. This is just a brief reminder. There's another one of those six o'clock Wednesday. And so if you want to just come and learn more, uh, ask questions, uh, that would be a really good time to do that. But any way that we can pass on information to you, we would love to do that. Uh, we rejoice with the whites as John has uh, Leah in her, his possession. I love this little question. Quote, as he, he put this out the other day on social media, his quote was, Dad, this bow is entirely too big. Uh, she is precious. She is beautiful. And the plans will be that they will return here uh, to Mount Juliet uh, Saturday, this coming Saturday. So continue to pray for them. And uh, we're thankful for the whites and, and, uh, and for her and look forward to welcome her home. The ladies had a wonderful Ladies Inspiration Day Saturday, and Roberta Pledge, I'm told, just did an, a, an excellent job speaking, and we are thankful that she was willing to drive over and that uh, she was with us, and we're thankful for our ladies. As a matter of fact, before the evening is over with, I hope all of us are reminded of how thankful we are for our ladies as it pertains to the topic tonight. Tim Martin, Tracy, and myself spent some time in Honduras this past week at a preacher's lecture. It was only a gathering of preachers and their families in Honduras, a few from Nicaragua, and all of the ones that we support uh, from El Salvador. This picture here is only the ones from El Salvador, but because many of you know them, I wanted to be sure and picture that. I'll try to get a picture. I think Tim has a picture of the, the broader group uh, that some of you would know some of them too, and we'll try to put that in the e-messenger tomorrow. Uh, on this next slide... I, I want to show you this. Many of us that are in, connected with Latin America, we were very, very saddened to hear last week that on the left is a, is a man that we just love dearly. He's a great faithful preacher there in Honduras. He works with us in, in campaigns in El Salvador. And uh, it's Jose Goda. 
and his wife was 47 years old and passed away uh, about two weeks ago. Uh, matter of fact, it may have just been last week, uh, week for last. And, and uh, it was just so sad and, and somewhat unexpected. And, and so a lot of us have been praying in our own prayers uh, regularly for him. He was there for a couple of the days and, and he's just, you would love this man. He's got such a good heart. He is just, he's just a, a big teddy bear, good heart, uh, but what an evangelist. He's always on campaigns, the ones going out and bringing in the folks uh, to be baptized into Christ. Of course, you know, picture on the left there is Phil. I just wanted to throw out a big shout out to him. It was really amazing, uh, the great work that he has done there in Latin America. And to see him interact with, there's probably about 115 or 20 people there total that was preachers and their families. And to see him know every one of them and interact personally with them. He stays in their homes often times. Uh, just a, a tremendous, tremendous work that he's done the five years that he's been with them. Uh, and it's great to, to be with him. Tim Martin did an excellent job speaking. That's no surprise to any of us. It was truly a, a rich, beautiful week. We're thankful that we were able to be there. But I wanted to tell you a quick story about this lady in the center. And I can tell you several stories about the lady on the left in the center, but we'll go to the lady on the right in the center. And and um, as we were getting ready to leave, and as you can imagine, any of you been there, you know exactly what I'm talking about, but the rest of you can imagine. You, if you don't speak Spanish and they don't speak English, there's no communication. And, and so uh, this little lady on the right, we had not spoken uh, all week long, except maybe nod her head or just a hello or hola or whatever. And so, uh, and so whenever, um, whenever we were getting ready to go, she walked over with a translator. And, and she said... Uh, Hey, I don't know if anybody here has told you, but we want you to be sure and tell the Mount Juliet congregation how thankful we are that each year you have been sending down uh, uh, support for a holiday meal for us to eat together. And she said, um, she said, we prepare it and we invite the whole church over. And she, you know, and she just went on to describe how it was one of the highlights of their year and just how grateful she was. And, and she was just such a meek and quiet, sweet lady. And, um, and so I just want to pass that on to you. It, it really meant a lot to her and to them and, and to even the church there. And uh, tomorrow when we send out that, that uh, picture of the broader group, uh, that will be almost everybody in that picture. It's a big picture. Almost everybody in that picture receives one of those for the last few years when we've done that. So just keep that in mind as you look at that tomorrow. Uh, it's, it's pretty awesome to think about the opportunities that God gives us and how as brothers and sisters, we go through life and encourage each other and then we can spend eternity together. And we're thankful that we can be an encouragement to them in that way. And they definitely was encouragement to us being down there with them. Are women respected and treated equal in the church of Christ? This was a topic that I was asked to speak on in uh, recent times. And, you know, I had to begin the topic by saying, you know, I don't proclaim to be able to, to be a, a spokesperson for the church of Christ. And so, honestly, I, I don't feel comfortable saying, let me tell you what I think happens in the church of Christ. But it did cause me to think about it from this standpoint. And that is... What about you? You're a member of the Lord's church. What about the congregation you're a part of? Do we treat women as equals? Do we treat them with great respect, equal essence and worth? And if not, why not? I believe it'd be good for us to do some self-evaluation. I, I really hope this isn't a lesson that 
you know, you're looking across the aisle or down a pew thinking, I hope so-and-so hears this lesson. I hope also you don't think this is a lesson only for men. You know, I've, I've seen women mistreated by other women. And I've seen women disrespected by other women. And so when we really stop and think about what is God's plan? Does God look down at a man and a woman and see them of equal essence and worth and expects both to receive the same honor? Or does he look down and say, I expect you to lift the man higher than the woman? And so as we think about this, I want to challenge you to think about the balance that we need to find, but there's no reason why we can't find this balance. I believe that God would give us the responsibility to see the equal worth and essence between male and female while at the same time honoring his plan for male leadership in the church and in the home. There is no reason why we cannot strike a balance with that. And so I hope tonight that, that as we, we think about some of this and discuss some of this, that you can keep that in your mind. So, so rather than just asking the broad question in the Church of Christ tonight, I'd like to specifically ask you, how do you treat women? And as we go through this lesson, I'd, I'd like for you to really just keep coming back to that. How do you treat women? You know, sometimes when we see extremes, it kind of wakes us up. And, and that's all I'm going to try to do for the next couple of minutes here. You know, when... When we hear of domestic violence, it's one thing. But you know, nowadays there seems to be a security footage and a phone at, at almost every turn. And have you noticed how the last few years, domestic violence among women is becoming, in our culture in America, totally unacceptable? Isn't it interesting? It had to become the age of video footage before your average citizen put their foot down and said, that is not tolerated. One of the recent times was Ray Rice. That woke up a lot of Americans to realize that here is a guy that not only is going to hit his wife, fiance at that time, so hard that he knocks her out cold on an elevator floor, but then when the door opened, grabbed her by the hair and drug her out of the elevator. Now, since then, he has apologized over and over. And the last that I heard from him just a few weeks ago on the radio, he not only expressed great uh, regret for how he treated her in the elevator, but he went on to say, and I feel just as bad of how I treated her in getting her off the elevator. But still, I think that was a wake-up call for a lot of people to stop and ask yourself this, how can any man treat a woman like that? We all have seen for uh, over a year now, Vandenberg and Beatty in the Vanderbilt rape case. Vandenberg on the left comes in with his girlfriend that is totally uh, so intoxicated or whatever the situation was that she was unconscious. He carries her in. There's footage that, that is recording this. He throws her down on the floor. Uh, testimony said like she was a piece of garbage. Threw her on the floor and then began to cheer on his roommate as he raped her. And then in the testimony where they said, well, it's just a problem of the culture of Vanderbilt that that's, that's a culture at Vanderbilt of how they treat women. Uh, the defense attorney said, I don't know how a culture can be blamed for someone raping, assaulting, and urinating on a victim who's unconscious. I didn't think it merited very much consideration by the jury. How do we get to that point that anyone can look at a woman and believe that she deserves to be treated in that way? What kind of culture, and hopefully we'd all agree that's not a culture, 
But if it was a culture, how did we get to that point? If it was just two individuals, how did they get to the point that they thought that was a way that you treat a woman? And then, of course, so much could be said by Bill Cosby's situation. And I would just like to just simply mention Sandra Ladd because her um, coming out about the situation was unique. She's a very wealthy woman. She's married to an executive in Hollywood, a producer in Hollywood, and she kept the secret. Only one other person she told uh, about her rape for 36 years, but it always, always bothered her. And finally, she came out and she said these words. This is the first time I've chosen to speak out about that night, and it will be the last time I intend to address this publicly. I have no plans to sue. I don't want or need any money. I have no plans for a press conference or doing any interviews. But she hoped that this would help relieve the turmoil that she experienced for 36 years by the way that she was treated that night. What is your culture toward women? How do you feel? If an outsider came and lived among us for a while at the Mount Juliet congregation, and they made an honest evaluation of the way we as a congregation treat women, what would they say? Would they come across with any idea that we treat women as second-class citizens or anything of any lowly state? Have you ever heard guys stand around and say, that's why God won't let them lead? Why do you say that? Oh, that's just women talking. What, their talk doesn't matter as much as men's talk? Wait a minute, was that a woman that said that or a man that said that? And my question back to that would be, why does it matter? Does one matter more than another? Oh, if a man says it, it's more important than if a woman says it? What's your culture? How do you view women. Tonight I'm not simply trying to urge you to see women as equal, but also what I'm trying to do is urge you to realize that there are a lot of problems, there are a lot of people that have problems with this, and they don't even know they have problems. They regularly say things that are sexist, and then they say, I'm not sexist. You realize just because you say you're not sexist doesn't mean you're not sexist, right? And so I'm, I'm really urging you to give some thought and consideration and evaluation of yourself tonight. Just because you say you're not prejudiced doesn't mean you're not prejudiced. Just because you say you're not sexist doesn't mean you're not sexist. What is your treatment, your evaluation toward women? Let's go back to scripture, all the way back to the beginning. Genesis, the first chapter in verse 27. Genesis 1 and 27, it could be that the way this is translated in English maybe has misled some individuals. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. But you know, in the original Hebrew language, 
that first usage of the word man is the word for mankind. It's not the word for man as in here's a man, here's a woman, here's a male, here's a female. That's not the word. The word is mankind. The translation could probably more clearly accurately read, so God created mankind or it could even read, God created the human race in his own image. In the image of God, he created the human race. Male and female, he created them. Now, if we need to, to translate it in that clear a form to be able to emphasize the fact that God is not saying, I made man after my image, but woman's not made as much after my image as man is made after man. That's not accurate at all. That's not at all what that verse is saying. And Jesus came to this earth, and the beauty of Christianity is that anywhere it spreads in its pureness, the esteem and the appreciation for women always rises. In times past, in civilizations past, anytime Christianity is spread, we see women become to be educated. Women become to be treated as an equal partner. Listen, it is not Christianity when it's practiced in its fullness that beats women down or looks down upon women. When it is practiced in its pureness, it is Christianity that lifts women up. And I'd like to remind you of Galatians, the third chapter, because I believe this is one of the great passages of our Christian faith. When we say, what is really being said here? Because you and I can read this tonight, and I don't know how to strike you. I don't know if you'll say, wow, that's a big deal. But I assure you this, if we would have been living in the day that Paul was living, and we would have been one of those people of Galatia, and we would have read this, our first thought would have probably been, go back and read that again. You think he really means that? Surely not. Well, let's see what he said. Galatians 3 and 27 and 28. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So then we pause and say when he says as many of you, who, who are the many of you? And so he says, let me explain that. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. He says, look, I, I don't care what continent you're from. When you're baptized into Christ, you're all one. You have equal worth and essence. The Jew has just as much right to belong as the Greek does, but the Greek has just as much right to belong as the Jew does. Oh, but surely not the classes, right, Paul? Oh, no. The slave has just as much essence and worth in the Lord as the free man does. You sure about that, Paul? I'm sure about that. This would have really gotten him. The woman has just as much essence and worth and right to belong in the Lord as the man does. Oh, that's hard. That's hard to believe. Oh, yeah. And so tonight... I hope that we all can read that and say, I believe the very fundamental part of our Christian faith that we are all one in Christ Jesus. If God broke the silence of heaven right now and spoke and said, hey, who is worth the most in this room? He would see all of us through his son having equal essence and worth. He wouldn't pick out someone in the role of leadership like elders and say, they're worth more than the rest of you. 
He wouldn't pick out a man and say he's worth more than the rest of you women. He wouldn't pick out adults and say they're worth more than children or vice versa. He would see the equal essence and worth in us all. And truthfully, we see it all throughout the New Testament. Scan with me some thoughts here. In the New Testament, in the first century church, we see that Philip's daughters in Acts the 21st chapter and verse 9, they were given the gift of prophecy. They literally had a miraculous gift that they could speak forth the word of God. Now, now wait a minute. If, if we're going to give people special knowledge, surely God is only going to give the men special knowledge. Because after all, they're in leadership roles and they're the only ones that need to have. Wait a minute. Do what? Do you really believe that we ought to, in the church, go back to the oppression of women to say, as many cultures have in times past, we don't really know if you women ought to be educated like us men. There's been a lot of cultures like that. Do you realize how ignorant, foolish, and wrong that is in the Lord's church? We ought to want the women of this congregation to know as much scripture as deeply as any man in this congregation. It's interesting to me that when the Lord was passing out the gifts of prophecy, he didn't just pass it out to men. He passed it out to women. I'm not suggesting to you that Philip's daughters then violated the restriction of not speaking before the church. I don't think they did speak before the church. But it doesn't mean they didn't need the knowledge and the other opportunities that God would give them to speak. It doesn't mean that they don't need that knowledge to be able to do that. Our women were rich, richly blessed here just yesterday at this very facility by a woman who was an excellent speaker and a woman who loves the Lord and knows scripture. Surely we all would agree that's a good thing and we would want to invest in other women that are younger even to say, hey, we want you to become scholars in scripture. We want you to be teaching other women. We want you to teach our children do you realize that a woman can teach the majority of the church? When you take the children and the women, that's over half of the church. Shouldn't we want the ones that have the opportunity to teach over half the church? Wouldn't we want them highly educated to do so? But what's our culture? If a woman wants to become educated, is she supported in the churches of Christ? You know, I was thankful that just recently that Doug and Megan Ferguson both graduated from Southwest Biblical School, from Biblical Studies. That's wonderful that she has studied the scriptures that deeply, just like her husband. There's another young woman that is there as a freshman this semester. Her brother went through school back a few years ago. He sent out a letter asking for support to 100 contacts and he received full support. Four years later, his sister wanted to go to that same school. She sent out 260 letters. She only received one letter back and the letter said no. What is the culture in the churches of Christ? 
If you're a man, we'll gladly support you in studying the Word of God deeper. But if you're a woman, no. And I just ask you tonight, why? Does it make any sense to you? Why would we have a culture like that? I know at times among the Jews, they had a saying that went something like this. A Torah that was going to be taught to a woman should be burned instead. There's been a lot of cultures that didn't think the women needed to be educated, but that was never the Christian culture. Priscilla and Aquila in Acts the 18th chapter and verse 26, that husband and wife pulled the masterful Apollos aside who was very mighty in scripture and he was eloquent in speech, but they both pulled him aside and they taught him the way more perfectly. In Titus the second chapter in 3, 4, and 5, we see that the older women are commanded to teach the younger women. And so we see the opportunities that, that women have in the church. When we look uh, on the next slide, we see Phoebe. In Romans, the 16th chapter, she was actually carrying the letter of, of Romans back to Rome or to Rome, and she was moving there herself. And we don't know what her ministry was that she was a part of, but whatever it was, Paul clearly told the church there of the good that she had done where she was, and they told her to jump in and support her, help her in the ministry that she was doing. In other words, Paul didn't say, oh, she's a woman and, and she's not going to be able to do a lot in the church. He's saying, hey, I'm sending a woman to you that's been very active here in the church. And when she gets there, she's going to be very active in the very same ministry. It's her ministry. Jump in and support her in her ministry. Read down just a few verses. We don't know what Mary was doing and we don't even know for sure which Mary it was in the 16th chapter of Romans in verse 6. But whoever she was, she labored a lot with Paul. And then you remember the Macedonia call in Acts the 16th chapter? The Macedonia call, the first place they went when they arrived into Philippi, which was the answer to the Macedonia call, they went and they met a lady named Lydia and her and her household were baptized and that was the first converts to answer the Macedonia call. When we think on the next slide about Jesus staying out on the mission field for three years, how was he supported? How could Jesus go out and stay in the mission field for three years in his public ministry? Isn't it interesting that in Luke 8, 1 through 3 tells us that there were women who were capable financially to support him. Isn't it interesting to think that Jesus stayed on the mission field because of the support of women as mentioned there. And then you remember the story of Dorcas in Acts the ninth chapter in verse 36, how whenever she passed away, there were widows just standing around, a representation of the church just standing around holding the things that she had made. And in a sense, in a sense they were saying, what are we gonna do now that she's not here? Have you thought how true that is in a lot of congregations? What would the Mount Juliet congregation be today if there were no women? I tell you what, I love you men, but it'd be a sad place to be. The spiritual depth, the richness in, in spiritual gifts and abilities, the nurturing and love, the ability that the women have to reach out to the community and reach in to a church family, the ability that they have to nurture our children and you go on and on. Where would we be without the women that are such a vital part 
of our healthy church. In John the eighth chapter, you have to appreciate the fact that when the woman was called in an adulterous situation, there was an obvious omission. If she was caught in the adulterous situation, where was the man? It wasn't interesting that Jesus wasn't going to get pulled in to that situation that was just, it, it was just had the smell of deceit about it. But you know what else it had? It also had the fact of, we don't care anything about this woman. Jesus, we're trying to make you look bad. We're trying to trip you up. And this woman, she's just another piece of trash to us. We don't care what it ends up costing her. We're out for you. Do we see women as disposable? Wasn't it great that in that story, it appeared that Jesus was the only one that saw her worth and value. And he stood up for her. And he convicted her too. He didn't say, hey lady, you have no problems. After all of them had gone their way, he looked over and he called her a sinner. But he also called her to repentance. He said, go and sin no more. Why did he have the right to teach her? Because of the great love and respect he had just showed to her just prior to that. And we see also the example of this woman at the well. You remember the woman at the well? Let me state a few obvious things. Now, now think about this as Jesus standing there. In John the fourth chapter, she was a Samaritan. She was a woman. And she was highly immoral. Here is a Jewish man that was perfect. If a Jewish man that was perfect in that day could look over at a woman who was immoral and a Samaritan and treat her with equal essence and worth as any other person on this earth, that ought to be a loud scream of Jesus saying, see the value in other people. See the essence and worth. It doesn't matter if it's Jew or if it's Gentile. It doesn't matter if it's a male or a female. It doesn't matter if they're moral or immoral. Everybody has essence and worth. And that story ought to be a huge reminder to that. And so we ask again, how do you treat women? What's the culture in your life? What's the culture in your congregation? I know we have the two passages of restriction and as we close, I'll just mention them to remind you. Yes, they exist, but that has nothing to do with essence and worth. 1 Corinthians 14, 1 Timothy 2, they both give restrictions to women leading in the church and leading in the home. In 1 Timothy 2 and 3, we see that the role of men was to be that when the church came together, they were to lead the prayers, they were to teach, they were to serve as elders and deacons. But on the next slide, we see the restriction of women. That when the church come together, they were restricted from leading the prayer. They were restricted from overdressing immodestly. They were restricted when the church came together from teaching. They were restricted from serving as elders or deacons. But again, when we look in the scripture, on the next slide there, we see that they're not restricted in teaching to their, their children at home. They're not restricted from teaching women. As a matter of fact, the older women are commanded to teach the younger women. I was discussing this a little bit with an email back a few months ago with Andrew Phillips. 
And uh, he sent me back this, and it was a very informal email. We were just going back and forth a little bit. But I was like, wow, you know, Andrew is brilliant. And when it comes to writing anyway, I was like, wow, even though it's an informal email, that's a pretty good quote. So I'm quoting him here, okay? Hey, look what he says here. And, and by the way, this is considering roles. In other words, if you think a man is worth more because he's given a role of leadership, what are you going to do about situations like this? Role distinction. Andrew could say it eloquently, I just couldn't. Role distinctions are not value judgments. <clears throat> Hebrews 7 said Jesus couldn't be a high priest in the Levitical system because he wasn't from the tribe of Levi. It had nothing to do with Jesus' value, but God had a specific role for the Levites to play. Isn't that interesting? You're going to look and say, here the high priest. Now they're worth more than people that aren't high priests like Jesus Christ. Hebrews 7, no, that's not at all the case. As a matter of fact, 1 Corinthians 11 and 3 makes it very clear. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man, and what? The head of Christ is God. So if we're going to say that men are worth more because of the headship position, we've got to turn around and say now God the Father is worth more, a greater essence and worth than Christ the Son. Surely we wouldn't blaspheme Christ in that way, to say that he's less than God. You see, our roles, although it's very important we obey the roles that God gives us, they do not define essence and worth. So in Philippians 2 and 5, when Christ didn't consider it robbery to be equal with God, but look in verse 7, he took upon himself the form of a bondservant. He still saw himself equal with God but yet he made himself a servant. And so as we close, I just ask you, do you ever speak like you are confused? Do you ever confuse worth or essence with roles? Do you ever talk as if men are more important than women or children? Do you believe that they're of lesser importance? And as I ask you that, I would even say, whether in public are in private. Because really what we're trying to get at tonight is our hearts. And you say, oh, I wouldn't talk like that in public. You realize it's wrong. It's wrong to have a heart that we really believe that we're better than others. And especially the idea that some way because we're a man that we're better than a woman or if you're a woman that, other, that men are better than your own gender. I don't give you this lesson tonight because I think it's a huge problem at Mount Juliet. I give you this lesson tonight because it's important for all of us to truly love and value each other the way God values us. And anytime we get off course with that, it always creates pain. And it also creates a cancer of the heart where we will begin to allow pride to set in. We'll lift ourselves up and we'll push others down. Tonight, we'll simply close by saying we love and appreciate every person here. God has made you after his image. He's given you great worth and great essence. And our hope is that we can encourage each other, young or old, male or female, leadership role or not a leadership role. We hope that we all can encourage each other as we go from here to eternity. And so we're about to sing a song of encouragement. And if you're ready to be immersed into Christ or you're ready to be restored, or if we can encourage you